you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to begin in Psalm 139 and verse 14. Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book was written every one of them, the days formed for me, before there was a single one of them. I'm going to speak to you on, we could call it the issue of abortion, we could also call it the value of life. And from this text, we see that God is the one who fashions the unborn, intricately woven, he calls it. In your book was written the days formed for me. He had a plan before there was a single one of them. Now, it's not my calling, uh, and I don't think it's the church's calling, to be political. Amen. But sometimes the politicians get theological. In other words, I don't necessarily think we should cross into their business and their realm, but they sometimes cross into ours. I think of the book of Daniel. They asked the king to establish an ordinance and enforce it that whoever makes a petition to any god except the king for 30 days will be cast into a den of lions. Uh, Now that's when the government steps into the spiritual. You can't pray to anybody but to the king. Well, Daniel, same chapter, chapter 6, verse 10 He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God just as he had done before. So he ignored it. He disobeyed the law of the king. I also think of Herod who seized John the Baptist and put him in prison, Matthew 14, 3. And it was because his brother Philip's wife, Herod, had taken his brother Philip's wife and John said, that's against the law of God. See, it's an ethical issue. And so John spoke regarding the moral truth of God. And sometimes that's what happens. My topic this morning is arguments used for abortion and answered from the Bible. 
arguments used for abortion answered from the Bible. And I have two motives here. One, I want the church to be informed on these issues. I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren. I want you to know what the Bible teaches about this. The second motive is I want our young people especially to know how to make a decision that's not based on on the world. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul said the church is the house of the living God. And it is the pillar and buttress of the truth. It's the pillar. And you know what a pillar is? It holds up the house. It holds up. So the church is the pillar of the truth. So the church must bring the truth to a high position where it can be seen. And that's what I want to do this morning in just a few minutes, is to hold up the truth about human life and unborn children. Because that's the church's job. If the church doesn't speak to this, dear people, who will? I mean, where where will the truth come from if it doesn't come from the Bible and the church? So here's the first argument for abortion. The majority of Americans support abortion rights. I've I've heard that argument. Uh, That may be. I'm not sure. Actually, I think it's probably about half and half. But I'm not going to argue the accuracy of the polls. I'm going to say, so what? (laughs) Amen? The, the key here is the majority of Americans. Whoever was safe following the majority? In Noah's day, was the majority of the people correct and secure? No. I wouldn't want to be in the majority in Noah's day. What about in the wilderness when they brought back a report of Canaan land that was, they said uh, giants are too big, the land is too long, the walls are too high. And only Joshua and Caleb said, we can take the land because God is with us. The majority said no, and they just wandered in the wilderness until they all died. How about, would you want to be in the majority when the crowd screamed, crucify him? Let's go with the majority. No, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourselves a living sacrifice and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, don't be squeezed into the world's opinions on things. We're never called to be the world. 
We're called to be who we are, and that is the church. Exodus 23, 2, do not follow a multitude to do evil. It's a big crowd going that direction. You'd be safe to go the other. So argument one is the majority supports abortion rights. The response is the Bible says don't be conformed to the world. Argument two, the fetus or the unborn is simply a clump of cells and not a human being. My response here is not to show sonograms of an eight-week pregnancy or quote doctors uh, or show pictures of two or three months old sucking their thumbs and, and they reacting to pain or pleasure. But here's, here's what the scripture says. Uh, this is Jeremiah 1.5. God told Jeremiah the prophet, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Look at those verbs. I formed you. I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you. See, that is what's going on with the unborn. God is forming a plan. And he's framing a person to fit that plan. Or take, for example, Luke 1.15 on John the Baptist when it when it was told his mother it says Luke 1 15 he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Greek prefix is ex out of his mother's womb even out from as he emerges from his mother's womb he was filled with the Spirit even before he came out of the womb I don't know how we fit that into our theology on conversion. But think of it, a spirit-filled baby. And how about whenever he saw, whenever Elizabeth, his mother, who was pregnant with John, greeted Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was pregnant with Jesus. Elizabeth was pregnant with John. Mary walked into the room and greeted Elizabeth. Here's what it says. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. What was that all about? A little Pentecostal forming right there. I think, I think John somehow knew Jesus is in the house. And how about Paul, the apostle in Galatians 1.15 when Paul said, he set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace. Now, Paul wasn't actually converted till he was almost 25, maybe 30. And yet before he was born, he was, called, he was set apart for God. Sometimes you don't know they're set apart. But I'm just pointing out here that here's Jeremiah the prophet, here's John the Baptist, here's Paul the apostle, and they all of their descriptions are how they were planned and prepared by God before they were born. 
James Robison of Life Outreach International has probably preached to more people than even Billy Graham. As of today, he's feeding and taking care of about 350,000 orphans in places like Cambodia and, and digging water wells for them. Uh, 75% of Cambodia has no clean water, safe water to drink. And all of this comes from James Robinson and his ministry, not even counting the tens of thousands of new believers that his crusades produced. But he tells in his biography how that he, his mother was raped. And this is before 1973 in the law, uh, law which passed abortion rights. And he said his mother tried to have an abortion. But she couldn't find a doctor who would do it. So instead, she decided to have the baby and put him up for adoption. She put, a, she put an article in the Houston Chronicle asking for someone to take her baby. And a pastor in Houston, Texas took her up on it and took little James Robinson and raised him to love and serve God. And today, his ministry is international. I mean, who knows in the 60 million abortions, how many James Robinsons we've lost? How many John the Baptist, Paul the Apostles, in Jeremiah the prophets. So my point here, the fetus is not a clump of cells, but the Bible says that he, it's God's formation. God knew Jeremiah 1.5 before he was born. He knew him and planned and consecrated him. Here's another argument. And that is, and I saw this one actually uh, this morning at a restaurant on the back of a car it's my body should be my choice actually the baby has its own body the baby has two hands two feet we don't talk about the mother now having four hands and four feet right the baby is its own person the baby doesn't even share the same blood as the mother. It has its own blood type. This is a quote. Oxygen and nutrients from the mother's blood are transferred. That's what they get from the mother's blood. Oxygen and nutrients are transferred across the placenta to the baby through the umbilical cord. Oxygen and nutrients, that's called air and food. I can take my wife to a restaurant and share air and food with her, but that doesn't mean I am her. Amen? And that doesn't mean she's me, nor does she desire to be me. But the 
the baby is its own person. It, is a, it, it is, has its own body. And it's, you can't say it's my body, my choice, because we belong to God ultimately. Ezekiel 16, 21, when the Israelites were giving their babies, amazingly, to a, the god Molech and sacrificing them on an altar. It was child sacrifice. And Ezekiel 16, 21, he says, you have slaughtered my children, my children, and delivered them up as an offering to this god Molech. But God calls them his children. We are gods by creation. We are also belong to God by redemption. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I saw that sign on the back of that car, my body, my choice, and I wanted so bad to just write, you are not your own. <laughs> you were bought with a price. But I didn't. I saved my frustration for this morning. <laughs> but we belong to God by creation and by redemption. Argument number four. The argument from privacy. The constitutional argument. This was passed in 1972 when the court looked at the 14th Amendment and said it gives the right for a woman to abort her child. And so I've looked at that over the years. Let me just read the 14th Amendment. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, property, without due process of law. And the court said, due process implies privacy. And therefore, women should have privacy over their bodies. I thought, I would never have seen that in that 14th Amendment. Would you? There is no abortion mentioned in the Constitution. But here's what Ira Glasser wrote some years ago. He said, on behalf of abortion rights, he said, well, there's a penumbra, which means a shadow. And there are unspecified emanations. That means like a little lights coming out. Penumbra, emanations. I think you can take that kind of logic and find anything you want to find in the Constitution. The right to privacy is, a, is not a right to overrule the sovereignty of God. Only God has the power of life and death. 1 Samuel 2, 6. It is God who brings death, God who brings life, God brings down to the grave, and God raises up from it. That is an arena which belongs to the sovereignty of God. 
Argument number five. <clears throat> and I just heard this one a couple of weeks ago um, from Bill Maher. He was interviewing some people on abortion. One lady was arguing that we shouldn't abort uh, at least the way that the Constitution permits the law stands. And Bill Maher said, and I quote, life is not precious. That was his argument. Now, he is an atheist. And he just came right out and said, life's not precious. And he's not married either, and he doesn't have children either. But I thought, even for an atheist, that is a remarkable statement. Man made in God's image with incredible potential. And any time that the government begins to lower the value of human life and a society begins to lower the dignity of, the, of created man, you will find that they begin to elevate the animal and the creation. And so today, there's an Endangered Species Act where if you harm or kill a sea turtle or its eggs, you can face civil penalties of up to $50,000 and a year in prison. Hey, I like sea turtles as much as the next person. But they're no match for a little newborn baby. If you kill a bald eagle, it'll cost you $100,000 if you're caught. You can even be fined and jailed for disturbing the nest. And I heard about one guy, and this is a true story, who was in a grocery store uh, talking, talking to another guy, who, and, he, and he said, I, I shot an eagle last week. And a couple of days later, the FBI was knocking on his door, and he said, I was talking about golf. <laughs> I mean, man, they were right there. Oh, Golf. I didn't know you could shoot an eagle in golf. But today you can kill a baby in the mother's womb and no one's going to knock on your door. So what should the church do? Here's, a, here's four things real quick. Number one, the church should pray. This is, this is what I think our responsibility is. Pray for our government. Pray for our legislators that they will respect life. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2. I, I, I urge you, brothers, uh, first of all, pray for kings and those in authority that we may live a peaceable and godly life. Number one is pray. Pray for our leadership. Number two is love. I hope you don't think I'm harsh today. 
But I, because I believe the church is called to love those especially who've had an abortion. Point them to the gospel. You see, if they don't find that Christ died for their sins, what are they going to do with that lifelong guilt and shame? I and the church and the scripture has the solution for those who bear the guilt of past abortions. Norma McCorvey was the lady in 1972 who sued the government in Dallas, Texas to get an abortion. And and it was her case that actually got abortion passed. 20 years later, she was working in an abortion clinic and a pastor talked to her. His name was Skip Benham. And he talked to her and she was drawn to his message of the gospel. And she describes herself, she says, I was the Roe, Jane Roe, in Roe v. Wade. She was converted to Christ in 1994 and wrote a book about her experience. And the title of the book was Won by Love. I was won over by love. That pastor and his church just embraced her. And on her deathbed, she told her daughter, never stop trying to undo the decision of which I was a part. Love, we can pray, we can love, we're called to do it, and we can speak. Proverbs 31, 8, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. I don't know of anyone less capable of speaking for themselves. Here's an innocent life being snuffed out, 63 million since 1972. Should no one speak? Oh, my friends, the church has to speak. We have to speak. If we are silent in this holocaust, we will answer to God. And finally, number four, we can vote. (laughs) Amen, church? We can read and see if they're for abortion, they don't get my vote. I don't care if they promise me $10,000 the next day. You're not going to be a hitman for me. You have blood on your hands if you're going to vote for abortion rights. So you're not going to get my vote. And we need to be informed and know exactly who we are sending to Congress to represent us. Vote. And remember that there's such a context in Exodus chapter 1 where the Pharaoh came and he said, I want you to kill all the boy babies. And these midwives uh, who were to help these Jewish women have the baby, they, they said, we're not going to do that. 
We're not going to participate in this. And so they decided not to do it. And it says, the midwives, because they feared God, God gave them children and families. Isn't that interesting? In a time when people were, when the soldiers were coming and killing the babies, here God is preserving and blessing and protecting these midwives who made up their mind, we're not going to be on the side of death for these little baby boys. We're going to side with life. That's what I hope that we will do as a church. There are arguments, but then we have a Bible which negates every argument they would produce. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we share your word today, we pray that you will prick our conscience, give us wisdom to know what to do and how to do it. Give us love for people and boldness in letting them know that no matter how deep and dark the sin, there is forgiveness and mercy with you, oh Jesus. And help us not to fuss and condemn and judge, but help us to reach out and to love them. In Jesus' name, amen. time the ushers will come forward. We'll uh, let's worship through our tithes and our offerings. <clears throat>